So Money Episode 371, Millionaire Next Door, Mary Ellen Miller. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. So Money is brought to you today by Wix.com. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 75 million people worldwide, Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website. With hundreds of designer-made customizable templates to choose from, the drag-and-drop editor, and even video backgrounds, there's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. The site empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy, too busy, too busy worrying about your budget, too busy scheduling appointments, too busy to build a website website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. It's Millionaire Next Door Week on So Money. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. This is going to be an exciting week, and it is all thanks to your feedback. Many of you wrote in saying how much you enjoyed the first Millionaire Next Door series that we did all the way back in August. It was a very popular week, to say the least, and so decided to do a part two because as it turns out, good news, there are so many successful people out there who started from humble beginnings, who started making average salaries, who ended up becoming part of the 1%. I know the 1% often gets a bad rap, but there's truly something to be proud of when you reach millionaire status, right? It's not something that's easy. It takes discipline. It takes effort. It takes consciousness. And so this week is going to be dedicated to talking to everyday men and women who have reached this status and how they did it. And maybe we can learn a thing or two along the way. And kicking us off this week is Mary Ellen Miller, who is a real estate investor from San Antonio, Texas, also Des Moines, Iowa. From an early age, Mary Ellen found that she was fascinated by money, how people make it, how they spend it. She followed the route that most people take, which is to get an education followed by a corporate job. Sound familiar? But by midlife, she realized money was not the goal. It was how money could and should be used to create a quote unquote wealthy life. Mary Ellen tells me that she's experienced living in every socioeconomic class from poverty qualifying for government cheese to now becoming a member of the 1%. And believe it or not, she didn't even realize when she hit the $1 million net worth mark. Her mission is now to help people create a wealthy life full of both money and meaning. Here we go. Here is Mary Ellen Miller. Mary Ellen Miller, welcome to So Money, kicking off Millionaire Next Door Week with a female. Couldn't have it any other way. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to uh, be on your podcast. I'm really excited to be able to share my story. Your story started years and years ago. You almost say that you were kind of an accidental millionaire. Not to say that you weren't conscious about money, but you were never you were never after a figure. You were never after you know reaching a million dollars or two million dollars. That you don't even remember the time when you kind of crossed that threshold. Uh, so take me back to 
the beginning of your journey to now being financially independent. You have a great following online. You're, for many people, a financial role model. Tell us how it all started. What was the manifestation? Like, why did you want to be so focused on living a financially liberating life? Well, honestly, it it really started with fear. You know, I grew up, my parents had grown up in the Depression, and there was a lot of fear around money with them. And it was always, you know, scrimping and saving and just being like super frugal with money and fearful about money and bills and any little thing that came up just generated a lot of fear. And, you know, I just kept thinking there's there's got to be a better way to live your life. You know, we work so hard and we don't have really any money to show for it. And I just kept thinking there's got to be a better way. And I was just really always fascinated by other people and how they lived and how they made money decisions and, you know, how they ended up in different places. And actually, you know, my parents really did encourage me um, to get a good education. And that was kind of a, a big key in that, that to them, that was the ticket out of poverty, you know, to, to get a good education, get a good job, all of those things. And then be, you know, diligent about saving your money. Money wasn't for spending. Money was just for saving and scrimping and that that rainy day was going to come and there would be a disaster that you would need that money for. And so it was always about, you know, restriction. And so, you know, I accumulated money just out of fear mainly. So at some point I, I decided that, there's more to life than that because mm -hmm. I was, I, I worked as a CPA and I worked in the retirement planning industry for quite a while. And I really kind of had a, a front row seat to how other people treated money, how they made money, you know, and, and whether they had money or not and how their decisions went. And I also saw people scrimping and saving, especially in the retirement area where, you know, they'd have this plan for the future, but then something would happen. They would either get very sick when they retired or they would die before they even used that money. And it's like, wait a minute, this is the wrong path. There, there has to be a point where you're enjoying your money today. You've transitioned now where initially maybe it was about accumulating money. And now it's about the purpose of wealth is to promote well-being. What does that mean, actually, when you think about well-being and how our wealth can get us to that goal? Can you explore that for us? Yeah, well, I've read a lot about the idea of, you know, money and happiness. Can money buy you happiness and all of these ideas? But I've really kind of come to this conclusion that that's the wrong question. It isn't just happiness. There's more to a full life than just happiness. Happiness to me is just kind of positive emotions or lack of, of negative things going on in your life. But what research has actually shown is that you can have a happy life, but it can also feel very empty because there's more to what people need to feel fulfilled. And it's really about, you know, you need to have uh, good relationships. You need to have something that provides meaning in your life and you need to have something that really engages you and keeps your, your brain going. And, and people are also really kind of built for achievement and so setting goals and reaching goals and all of those things really kind of encompass what I see as, as well-being um, and really thriving. And, and 
it's just a thing that a lot of people miss. And people think it's just, you know, getting a bunch of money and then retiring. Well, then if you really are a person that likes achievement, then retiring really is unfulfilling. And so you see a lot of people that don't really thrive in retirement, that it really isn't the right the right goal for them. And I don't know if that's making a lot of sense, but it's more to, there's more to it than just accumulating money. It's about how you use that money to build the life you want. It sounds like this was a transitional period in your life. And now you, your website is all about helping people navigate at the crossroads of money and meaning. For you, what was the personal genesis to this? I mean, you said that initially you were fueled by fear what was the turning point for you? Well, actually, I, I read a couple of books that really kind of changed my mindset about things. One of them was um, Your Money or Your Life, which is kind of an oldie. Yes, oldie but um, goodie. But goodie. And it really talked about, you know, what are you really trading for your money? And are you really living your life? And then I wrote, read the book uh, Vagabonding. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. I haven't heard that. It's a, it's by Ralph Potts and he talks about, you know, what, you know, people put in their mind that they want this million dollars, but what they really want is an interesting and fulfilling life. And it doesn't take a million dollars. And then, you know, he kind of talks about the choices that he made in his life and how he could do that with a lot less money. And just, I kind of put those two ideas together. And then I kind of looked at where I was financially in it. I, I just, my kids were, you know, getting to the point where they're going to be on their own. And I realized that I wouldn't need to be putting out money to support them and that I had saved a substantial amount to retirement. And maybe I could just take a gap year. That was just the idea. I was going to take a gap year and just kind of explore other ideas and see if this was a better direction for me. And then I forgot to go back to You forgot. <laughs> or maybe it's that you just were so not interested in going back. Um, yeah, you write in your, uh, in your journal on your website that people thought you were crazy to leave. Uh, to, to take the sabbatical, how are you going to get health insurance? Uh, but you said once you left the corporate life, there was no going back. How did you start to build your own business essentially from there? Well, I, it wasn't an automatic thing. You know, I, I originally took the time off just to travel and to just give myself some headspace to try and figure it out. And I kind of fumbled around with a bunch of different business things and working some part-time jobs and just doing some volunteer work, just a lot of different things, experimenting with those things. And, and, um, honestly, then it was more about, um, I, I started working with my now husband. He wasn't my husband at the time with his business and then became an owner with that business. And he kind of had the ideas for the business, but I had the the ability to kind of make it financially really strong. So it was kind of a good partnership in that way. And now I'm kind of just exploring other ways. You know, we've done some real estate investing and in, in different things like that. And now I'm really wanting to focus on on writing and, and helping other people, you know, kind of transition to this way of thinking if that's what really drive what what they really feel they need to do. Because mm -hmm. I see a lot of people in midlife in particular, 
wanting something else, wanting something more, wanting a different way of, of managing their life. You say that you've experienced living in every socioeconomic class. You were poor, you qualified for government cheese, now you're a millionaire next door. You're part of the 1%. Can you share with us three, four, five steps that you took throughout those years that you started doing this at in your 20s and then in your 30s and then in your 40s <clears throat> that eventually got you to accumulate a massive amount of net worth? What were the secrets to your millionaire status? Well, I, I think the secrets was just diligence. That was kind of the main thing is just being consistent, having having some goals. I didn't have um, specifically a million dollars as a goal, but I had goals of, of retiring, had goals of being um, financially independent in, in my retirement years. You know, working in the retirement field for a while, it was like the statistics were horrible about people who really can't maintain the same lifestyle after retirement. They just don't save enough. So I was probably to the other extreme of, of saving everything. And, um, you know, so I think it was just really being diligent about paying myself first and, you know, automating that process because every time you have to make a decision, there's always some other decision that you can make. So if you can just automate that decision and just put that on, on autopilot and then, you know, really thinking about having your money in different buckets. So I had a retirement bucket. I had um, college savings for my kids. You know, I had different things towards different goals. And it's just money accumulates over time if you let it. And that's just really all I did was just being diligent about it. How much did you save? There's a, a lot of rule. There are a lot of rules of thumb out there. Whether that say ten percent is good, fifteen percent is great. Some millionaires next door I've interviewed saved thirty, forty percent of their income for a period of time to aggressively save. What was your rule of thumb for saving? My my first goal actually was to get to the point where I was maxing out my four hundred one k. And so I was putting in whatever the the maximum was that was allowed. And then when I really got more serious and started actually thinking about quitting my job, I was saving um, pretty much all of my bonus money. And I'd actually been fortunate enough to have some stock options at the time too. And so I was saving everything from that. And so bonuses were great because it's, I never depended on those to live on. So I just saved all of those. So probably it was closer to, you know, towards the end, it was closer to 20 or 30%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you don't even remember the moment you crossed the million dollar threshold, but you remember sort of around that time and the feeling it gave you, when did you actually feel financially solid and free? Hmm. That's a good question. Well, I think the real moment, which is a, is a little bit of a tough moment, because it's like we in our business we had a, a point where we had a very very large receivable where it was questionable whether we were going to collect on it, and when we actually did collect on that, then it was like okay now we can breathe again. But the the hard part in in calculating you know when I was a millionaire is that I you know I, I say I kind of cobbled together. A, 
a lot of things. So I had a lot of little different things going. We had a little bit of farmland and, you know, things like that are hard to put a number of value on. Yeah, you can sell that farmland, but I was thinking of that more in terms of cash flow. So I didn't really think about well, what is that really worth? Because to me, it was worth the cash flow. And so I was just kind of shifting from a different way of thinking rather than thinking about how much have I accumulated. It's like how much income are these assets generating for me, for me to live on and for me to continue to save, that type of thing. So it was, you know, I knew I was doing, we were doing pretty well in that category, but I just hadn't really sat down and put numbers to it because I was kind of afraid to actually. Why were you afraid? (laughs) Because I I think I was really kind of afraid because I thought, well, maybe I would just go crazy and just spend a bunch of it, you know? (laughs) And so it was like, oh, I don't really want to know how much I have. Wow. <laughs> I'm the complete opposite. I want to know how much I have at all times. Well, I was that way for a very long time. I mean, I had spreadsheets. I had, you know, calculators. I had, yeah, <laughs> all of those things. But, you know, I kind of... Do you Have you ever had a moment where you were not to be trusted with money, that you felt you were going to slip into some sort of spending coma? Yeah, I mean, really, when I first got out of college, I I was a lot more free with spending and, you know, used credit cards and car loans and all of those things that I I don't do now that, you know, and I realized, you know, I got into some debt and I just realized that it's so easy to do that. Mm-hmm. And and you can just get back into that habit of spending everything just really quickly, I think. And so... Yeah, it was a little bit of not trusting myself completely. Excited to introduce Audible.com as today's show sponsor. Audible has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products, including my own books, Psych Yourself Rich and When She Makes More. And for so many listeners, the company, get this, wants to give you a free audiobook and a 30-day trial today. Just sign up at audible.com forward slash so money. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com forward slash so money. Tell us a little bit about your background and childhood. You talked a little bit about how you grew up uh, with a fear, a sense of scarcity. Um, Share with us a pivotal money memory growing up as a child. Was there one kind of very vivid memory experience that you had that to this day as an adult, it kind of shakes you to the core or is something that just you reflect upon with a lot of either fondness or, or just the opposite? Yeah, I, you know... I always had a sense that we didn't have any money and that other people did. But, you know, I was, I'm thinking about this. I kind of, in kindergarten, there was kind of an experience that really, it, it sounds silly, but we used to um, pack a thermos with, with milk in it. And one day I actually dropped the thermos and broke it. It was, they were glass at that point in time. And you know, you could buy milk, but we never bought milk because, you know, we, I grew up on a dairy farm and so buying milk was kind of silly and it cost two cents and there was no way my parents were going to spend two cents on milk, but milk was two cents. It was two cents. Yeah. At the, at the lunchroom. So my teacher actually had two cents that she spent on me to buy me milk. And it was like, 
wow, she has two cents and she spent it on me. And it was like, how does, you know, and it, and it, ever since then, it's just been kind of like, how do other people have money? And why don't we have money? We work super hard. You know, how do other people get money? And so it just kind of was one of those things that was, you were in kindergarten. I remember, yeah. yeah. It's like, wow, how do I get money? <laughs> and how do I not only get enough money to be able to help someone out? Right. To be able to buy someone else, you know, a two cent milk. So you look at that as sort of an inspiring moment, a moment that taught you that there are possibilities. Right. And, you know, that's one of the things I wish I had understood probably earlier, what the possibilities were. You know, I had really low expectations for myself, you know, getting out of um, getting out of college and get a job, of course, but I just wanted to make enough money. So I didn't have to eat government cheese and I didn't have to, you know, freeze to death in the wintertime. And, you know, some of those just really basic things, that's what my goals were. And I didn't even think about for the longest time having bigger goals. When did you start having bigger goals for yourself? I think that's important. I think that a lot of times we underestimate our potential, whether it's our potential in our careers and our relationships and our personal development and also with our financial lives. At what point did you realize you had far more potential when it came to earning and saving and building a life of financial fulfillment? I think that's just been a very slow process. I don't think there's one moment where I just said, wow, I, I can do a lot better than this. It's just been kind of a series of moments. It's like, oh, I can reach this goal. And once you reach that goal, it's like, wow, I could do something more. And so you just kind of keep expanding on your goals, I think. But it, I mean, I think it kind of just started when I first signed up for a 401k plan. And it's like, I was nervous about putting 2% into my 401k plan, because it's like, could I, you know, I was a single mom. And I didn't know if I could really afford that. So once I started doing that 2% and really saw how that accumulated, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I could accumulate real money. And it just kind of inspired me to start accumulating more as I saw it grow. What do you plan to do as far as your retirement strategy, as far as what you're going to withdraw, how much you're going to need? Have you thought about that? I'm sure you have. <laughs> yeah, I have thought about that a lot. And it's something that I'm really struggling with right now because, you know, there are, it, it's just so hard because withdrawal for me, I really hate the idea of withdrawing it, to be honest, because <laughs> it, it's like the beginning you, of the end, <laughs> yeah, as far as that, that account goes, you know, right. And it, it's like, you know, you never know what the future is going to be. And so you start consuming this accumulated pile of money. And, and unfortunately, I think it kind of is tapped into kind of a scarcity mindset for me because it's like, okay, I have this unknown need for the future and I don't really know how to, to draw down from it. So I don't know. I've really been working on, you know, accumulating more real estate, you know, that provides cash flow. And so we've, we have, you know, enough now to to live on without retire pulling out the retirement money. So I'm, I'm just kind of debating about what I'm going to do about that and how I'm going to navigate, you know, the taxes and all of those things. It's a complicated and I don't know 
fearful, <laughs> fear-inducing process, I think. So it does sound that all, even though you've reached millionaire status, you're the millionaire next door, mm-hmm. you're someone who that many people follow for advice, that you're still also trying to figure things out. Yeah. Well, I've kind of really changed my ideas about retirement in general. And I think I'm already retired. I, I consider myself already kind of retired in, in my definition. And, and what I consider retired really is that I've retired from not doing anything I don't want to do. I've retired from not having to work with people I don't want to work with. I've retired from just a lot of things. But I, I don't think I'll ever retire from from working. And yeah, so I, I think I've just really changed my definition of retirement. And so the whole goal of retirement is just change, I guess. Mm-hmm. Which makes the concept of withdrawing from a retirement account all that more in- interesting, complex, and uncertain. Yeah. Because, you know, I've, I have thought about maybe retire, withdrawing some of that and, you know, purchasing more real estate to generate some more cash flow and those types of things. So, you know, kind of keeping it growing rather than consuming it. Sure. So you live in Texas mm-hmm. and you'd mentioned to me prior to the interview that you live a relatively modest life considering Texas, everything is like big, go big or go home, you know? <laughs> Um, so let's talk a little bit about your lifestyle because that is so much of what a millionaire next door is known for. It's like having this kind of under the radar lifestyle. You know someone, it's your neighbor, and you had no idea that they're far richer than you. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they don't drive the fanciest car or whatever. So tell us a little bit about your the life from the outside. It looks very ordinary and nothing nothing flashy at all. I don't have a giant belt buckle to to show off or very much bling. Um you know, I grew up in in a small town in in northeast Iowa, and you know, showing showing wealth was really seen as a, as a negative thing. So that has really kind of stuck with me. And you know, I know a lot of other people that's they like to have things that are showy. But you know, I have a few things that uh, you know, if if people pay attention, they can see see that. Like what? Like what? Tell us. Sure. I have. A- I have a Rolex. You have a Rolex. Okay, yeah. good. I, I don't, you know, I think you should enjoy your money. And if it, if you can afford the Rolex, clearly you can, then get the Rolex. Mm-hmm. Someone else may not want the Rolex. Someone else might want a, a nice car or uh, go on a trip around the world. You know, everyone's got their quote unquote Rolex that they would like to have some sort of, you know, luxury. And, and what else? So you got the Rolex. Um. Let's see. What else? Well, we have two houses, well, three houses that we live in. <laughs> so, you know, but where where we are, I mean, nobody else here sees the other houses that we have. So we have more than mm-hmm. one residence. So that's probably an extravagance by most standards. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's do some so money fill in the blanks. This is the part of the show where I start off a sentence and you finish it. First thing that comes to mind. Got it? Mm-hmm. All right. If I won, well, you're already a millionaire, but let's say that after this podcast ends, you're, there's a knock on the door and it's Publishers Clearinghouse. Because <laughs> apparently they're still around. I see, still, I still see those commercials. Um, and they, they give you a check for like, you know, $100 million. What's the first thing you're going to do? That's really hard because I, I don't play the lottery and I don't, yeah. Anyway, um, I think what I would do is I would build a resort 
a family resort, a family and friends resort, you know, just kind of a peaceful place where we could all gather and just have good times. I like that. A lot of people would say I would tell nobody. (laughs) (laughs) I would go on a trip around the world. I would, you know, give away half of it. I really like that answer. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is? Good food, good quality food. Because mm-hmm. I, I think health, health is another one of those things that's, that I underrated it, you know, being, um, having the energy and, you know, all of those things. But good quality food really makes a difference. Your biggest splurge, you have the Rolex, you got the houses, but what's something that you splurge on regularly as something to treat yourself that you uh, know it's a lot of money, but you wouldn't have it any other way? Uh, travel. Travel's a no-brainer. Where do you yeah. travel? Where's the last place you went? Um, the last place we went, I think we went to Mexico. That was, um, But we've traveled a lot of different places. I've been um, – I took when I took my gap year, I took a trip to Egypt for a couple of months, and then I went to uh, Eastern Europe for a couple of months and traveled through there. But I've been to Fiji. I've been a lot in the Caribbean, Mexico, Europe, a lot of European places. What's somewhere that you haven't been that you'd like to go? Australia. It's on the list. It keeps getting pushed off. It's so far. <laughs> I know. I would love to go to Australia. If they just make like a time machine or something and I could just <laughs> I could just be in Australia by, by lunchtime, that would be great. Those long flights are killer. <laughs> How about this? The one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is? I wish I had learned what was possible with money. I, w- I wish I had had a broader, a broader base of, of knowing how people make money and what is possible. Mary Ellen, thanks so much for being with us. You are exemplary. And thank you for also offering our listeners a cheat sheet or five steps to the wealthy life. We have the link over at somoneypodcast.com where they can get that and download it. Any parting advice for our listeners as they hope to follow in your footsteps? I think the biggest thing that the biggest takeaway I have now for dealing with money is really getting better alignment with, with your money and really making money do what you want it to do. Make it, use it to help achieve your goals and build really a wealthy life rather than just accumulating money. I think that's really the key now that I'm trying to focus on. Well, thanks so much again. Thanks for kicking us off on such a great note this week. I know listeners are going to really love this episode and all the ones that follow. Mary Ellen, thank you. Thank you, Frank Fish. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Mary Ellen and her work, her website is maryellenmiller.com. She's also on Twitter at TalkMoneyWithMe, and we hope that you'll find her and connect with her. And if you miss any of this or want to replay this episode, check out the transcript, leave a comment because maybe you loved or hated the episode, head over to SoMoneyPodcast.com, and that's where you can find all the information from this episode and all previous episodes. And of course, while you're there, send me your question for the Friday Ask Farnoosh segments. I want to hear what's on your money mind, your job mind, your life mind. Send me those questions and I hope to answer them in a forthcoming Ask Farnoosh segment on this podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Hope to see you right back here tomorrow for more Millionaires Next Door. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money. Money.